Esther chapter 2. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem upon the captives carried away with Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how it, Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shagashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, 
Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Good morning. We are still walking through Esther in our series called An Unexpected Savior. We just heard the reading of Esther chapter 2. Now again, I want to remind you that this series itself is going to lead us through Easter weekend where at Easter, by God's grace, we will see more of the parallels between Esther and her story here in the Old Testament and that of Jesus Christ and the account of Christ according to the gospel. So in the meantime, let's just jump back into our story this morning. Now, we are about to be introduced and have been introduced in this reading to our heroes in the story, but I want to take a moment and save the excitement if I could. You see, Esther is going to come into the picture and she will not be a knight in shining armor as we've just read, nor will she be some sort of great mighty warrior princess. Rather, we see Esther enter in the midst of of a king and in the midst of a kingdom that is still spiraling out of control into more darkness. And so as we continue to read um, our story today and as we continue to read over the coming weeks, we're going to realize that we ourselves today still live in a very dark world. You see, I want you to pay careful attention to what's happening in the world. Over this past week, many people have been getting upset over the censoring and the removal of children's books. But I want to encourage you not to get lost in the weeds here because this is only a smokescreen of the present darkness that is around us. So don't get lost in the stories on the surface. However, in the midst of a dark world, let's realize as believers that God, by his grace, has not forgotten his people. He has not discarded his people, and he will still use us in the midst of this present darkness for his purpose. In fact, as we study Esther chapter 2 today, we would do well to remember the words of John Calvin when he wrote, God does not throw down men at random on the earth to go wherever they please but guides all by his secret purpose. You see, these moments, as we will begin to see in our text here in Esther chapter 2, are not just some random, fearful moments that occur in the Bible. Rather, all that we see and know, according to the word of God, has a place, it has a purpose, and yes, God is the one who is still in control. So as we look to Esther chapter 2, our unexpected Savior now appears in the story. But again, not in the way hoped for by the original hearers of this particular story, but rather through pain and preparation, we, according to Esther chapter 2, will now begin to see God's providence, which is still at work in the midst of very dark times. 
So if I could set the scene for you again, our story now turns to our heroes found within the narrative. They are Esther and Mordecai. Now we know from the text that Mordecai is Esther's cousin who raised her like his own daughter. Now, unlike what uh, many people may think at this point, Esther being taken to the palace was not Mordecai's sick and twisted way of entering her into some sort of sick and twisted beauty contest. You see, neither of them uh, uh, understood what was going to happen. Neither of them did this moment or took on this moment as an act of some preconceived plan. Rather, at this point, they have no idea what will happen to Esther, nor is there any guarantee for either of them when it comes to prominence in the eyes of the king. So you see, what we have before us in Esther chapter 2 is a dark and yet very real-life story of women being objectified and made victims of predatory men. You see, this passage today gives us a glimpse into a very ugly life that is found in ancient Persia. You see, people, particularly women and children and those who are poor, they are treated as commodities for the rulers and for the wealthy. And so Esther will not be nor become the fairy tale story that we often see when we turn on Disney+. Plus. This is a very different story. Now, although it is true, it's in Esther chapter 2 that we begin to see that even in the midst of this darkness, there is a, a glimmer of hope. There is a glimmer of light because now we will begin to see that God, by his grace, will save us even from ourselves if needed and use us for his glory in the midst of a very dark time. So as believers in Christ today, we need to realize that much of life, similar to that of Esther's, can be summed up in three words, pain, preparation, and providence. So those are the three words I want us to focus on this morning. First, I want us to take a look at the word pain. We see pain throughout Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You see, as we open in verse 1, we now know that at least four years have passed between what has occurred in chapter 1 of Esther and what we are now reading in chapter 2. King Ahasuerus is now in the seventh year of his reign, and we don't know much in terms of the word of God, in terms of what happened during this time, but we do know that from history, it was his desire and his wretchedness that left him wanting more. And so it was King Ahasuerus who would gather a large army with him and he would lead an army to attack Greece. And what we know of history is that his conquest would ultimately fail and he would return to Susa as the defeated king. So our chapter opens with the defeated king being very reflective. We see for a fleeting moment what is in the mind of the king. We even get a a glimpse of the remorse that is now found in him as he reflects back upon decisions that have recently been made. You see, the same can also be true of us today. You see, the same thing occurs to us when we ourselves find ourselves in a cycle of sin that for whatever reason we can't seem to break. And all of a sudden we realize that it is us, we are the ones who are now losing. 
And so as we look back into our text in what seems to be a moment of pain, we read the words, and he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, obviously, the king's anger is gone, and you almost feel sorry for him. But here's the truth of what we can learn from this passage. You see, hasty decisions made in anger, hasty decisions made in sin will always lead to guilt and remorse. You see, there is no victory that will allow you to forget your own sin. There is no personal cure that you can achieve that will release you from that guilt. There is no amount of running that you and I can do that is ever going to help us escape from our sin. You see, our sin will always find us out if we do not repent to our Lord. Now, notice the phrasing of this passage, and several commentaries as I was reading and studying noticed the same phrasing as well. Notice the phrase, what had been decreed against her. You see, there's actually a word that is missing here from this phrase, and it's the word he. In fact, if we were to read this from a remorseful man, it probably should read more along the lines of what he had decreed against her. You see, today, like the king, we can have regret and remorse for our sin, but we don't have repentance until we acknowledge our responsibility in what is wrong. You see, the king had no one to blame at this point but himself. And that same is true of us today in our sins. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that forgiveness can be found in Christ Jesus our Lord who has covered us by his blood. Now as we turn back to our text and we see King Ahasuerus, we now see that the king's young men who attend him are now with him in his grief, are now with him in this moment of remorse and reflection. And here they go proposing yet another bad idea that would delight the king, but ultimately destroy and cause pain for many of the families that are living under his ruler. You see... They decide that all of the young single women in the king's provinces, all 127 provinces, that these young women should be brought to the king and be used for his personal pleasures. It's at this moment that if they actually had TV back then, you'd probably hear something along the lines of, and welcome back to yet another season of Persia's The Bachelor. But the reality is you're now seeing a king, a king riddled with his guilt, a king riddled with his remorse, a king again listening to bad advice, falling further and further into his own darkness that is his own wretchedness. You see, these young girls wouldn't simply be allowed to just come and go before the king. No, once they were brought before the king to do his bidding, they would never be allowed or they would not be allowed to be taken as brides to anyone else. So pay attention to what's happening in this moment. Pay attention to what's being advised of him. You see, in the midst of the king's 
pain, and I use that term loosely, it is his sin that would still reign over him, which would again lead to more pain for all people under his authority. Now, seeing this, we now see that the only ideas that originate from King Ahasuerus include a feast for his own glory, but also more demands for his own gratification. Isn't that like sin? The pain and the heartache that he was now causing the people simply did not matter to this king. Now pay attention because this should be a word of caution to all of us. We, like the king in this moment, we need to be careful of who it is that is speaking into our lives. You see, there may be a person who is speaking into your life and and maybe they're speaking into your life because of the longevity of the relationship, because of the history or the the prominence they may have as a leader. Maybe they have the experience or or the time committed in consistent leadership and so we look to them to speak to us, but the reality is these very same people may be leading us astray. Notice when you fast forward to the New Testament and you don't have to go any further than what we just read in 2 Timothy in our previous series. You see Timothy talking of men who have walked away from him and not just random men, but men who were elders and leaders within the church. You see, when we think about our own lives, we need to make sure that what it is that we are being told, what it is that we are saying can be grounded and rooted in the very word of God. You see, as believers in Christ, we don't need just random people speaking into our life. As believers in Christ, we we should not only become, but we also need people that we can call upon as Colossians 3.16 type of friends who, according to that passage, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, we need to be the type of people who are speaking faithfully the word of God into the lives of others. Even in the midst of seasons of pain for others, in the midst of the pain that exists within ourselves, we need to be speaking biblical truth into each other's lives. But now notice what happens when we come back to our text. You see, if King Ahasuerus were truly repentant, then he would have sought to reconcile with Vashti and not replace her and ultimately replace her and multiply that replacement many times over. And so by the time we get to verses 5 through 7, our story now shifts to our heroes. You see, there are two Jews that are now mentioned in the story. And at this point, I would imagine that some early Jewish hearers of this story would say, finally, now some good leadership has come. Now this whole story is about to change. If you've been keeping up with uh, uh, modern television and modern movies, this would almost be the equivalent of taking a horrific story where everything is doom and gloom, and all of a sudden Captain America walks in and says, Avengers, assemble. This is that kind of moment in our story if you're reading it. But what we're about to see is that is not at all what is about to happen. You see, the names Mordecai and Esther themselves... They were not Jewish names. 
These were Babylonian names that could have been assigned to them. So if you're a Jew hearing this, if you're a Jew hearing and there were Jews living in Susa, and then you're like, give me some good Jewish leadership, and then you hear their names were Mordecai and Esther, all of a sudden you're going, yeah, well, I'm sorry, what? What just happened in this moment? You see, we're never given Mordecai's name, but we are given Esther's. And so what we also know of them is that they were brought to Susa and their family, because of the sin of the people, chose to remain there in exile and bondage when many Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem. We also learn of Esther, that she was a young woman who had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. Now, our author here is not being sexual or predatorial by any stretch of the imagination, but rather he was letting us know that Esther now fits the bill of a girl who would be taken by the king. Now, it's at this point that many Jews would probably argue here about how weak these two were for not leaving Persia. They would argue, well, why didn't they stand for God? Why didn't they flee when they were given the opportunity? Why didn't, when the guards showed up, they started fighting for their lives as if their lives mattered? Well, here's the reality, and many of us know this all too well today. It's not always easy to make hard decisions that are right when you're faced with hard situations. I would imagine that many of us have made decisions today in tough times that looking back, we wish we could have gone in a different direction. However, this is not the point of Mordecai and Esther being in Susa. Rather, in seeing that there are Jews still living in Persia, we are now given evidence that the Jews have not been destroyed. And so again, in the midst of pain, even in the midst of God disciplining his people, God does not discard his people. And so, spoiler alert for the coming weeks, we are soon going to see that this decision to stay, to deal with pain, Esther would be the one who is used by God to save her people. So then we get to verse 8, and we read that by the king's edict, Esther was taken to the king's palace. And so now our story will begin to shift from pain and the pain that the king has caused families all over the provinces to now the preparation of what it means to be with the king. And again, I want to remind you, do not lose sight of what God will do in this moment. You see, in verses 9 through 15, we now see the preparation that takes place. Again, I don't want to make light of what is going on. So remember, we are dealing with a king who, in the midst of his guilt, in the midst of his wretchedness, in the midst of his sin and his poor counsel, he has now robbed many families of future dreams for their children. Esther is now included in this group as we see that she is now taken. And while she is under palace control and under preparation, she remembers the words of Mordecai who in verse 10 commanded her not to make it known. The it being who her people was and who her kindred were. You see, we don't know why she was given this particular command. We can also understand that Mordecai had no idea what would happen to Esther, but it is possible that he could have feared for her life if others found out who she was. 
Now again, his plan does not seem bold. His plan is far from perfect, but even in the midst of our imperfections, as we see in this story, God is still not done with us. You see, in the midst of custody and compromise, we learn that Esther pleased Haggai and won his favor. And so because of this, as our story continues, he places her on the fast track of becoming the front runner to win over the king. He provides cosmetics for her, gives her her portions of food. He then gives her seven women to care for her and places her in the most prominent positions in order to be recognized. Now, again, to give you some sort of concept about this preparation, in order for a young girl to be prepared for one night with the king, it took 12 months. You see, for this young woman, she had to look a certain way. She had to smell a certain way. And many of us would say today, well, that's just atrocious. That's horrific. How can this be expected of our young women? Well, let me encourage you to take a look at our own society today. We are no different than ancient Persians. Many women today in our country, in our church now, feel these same pressures of appearance. So the reality is not much has changed. And as if these pressures weren't enough, these women would then spend one night with the king. They would leave to join his concubine and wait in hopes that he would remember their name and call upon them again. But if this didn't happen, they were given a pass and allowed to leave the palace. That's not true. If the king didn't remember them, they would never be allowed to leave, nor would they be allowed to marry. They would live almost as prisoners in the palace for the rest of their lives, not shackled to a wall, but never being allowed to leave. Now again, this could have been Esther's story, but as we read, it was not. You see, Esther, by God's grace and favor, was still finding favor within the palace and was now being coached into what it was the king liked and what she would need to take in the room in order to win over the king. So pay attention to what we are seeing here in these passages. In the midst of a bleak situation that no one should have to walk through, God's kindness and favor are never far from us. You see, God can use any situation and any moment for advancing the gospel, even when we are without faith and we are found in fear. It is God who still can and will find favor with us. And so these lessons of pain, this story of preparation would now lead to the greatest reminder that all of us need today as believers in Jesus Christ, and that is providence. So we look to verses 16 through 23, and we see God's providence at work. The first thing we see in verses 16 through 18 tells us that after her evening with the king, the king loved Esther more than all the women so that he set the royal crown on her head. Now pay attention to what God has done and is doing in this moment. 
You see, in the midst of a king's pain that he himself created, he now has caused more pain for families all throughout his kingdom. That pain then led to a girl who was being raised by her cousin who through preparation has now found favor within the palace. And because of this favor, she was more than prepared to win over the king, which is exactly what she did, and therefore she was made queen. And how did this happen? It happened because of God's providence. You see, God's providence can and will prepare us for what is to come, even if it finds us in the midst of seasons of pain. We would do well to remember these words. Because I'm going to go ahead and say to you, if you think COVID-19 is bad, read Esther. It can get worse. If you don't like our current political climate and you think it is bad, read Esther. It can get worse. None of us are immune to the pains of this world. Many of us could walk out of here today praising God for what he has done through this service, only to realize that tomorrow we experience grief and heartache, whether it comes through the loss of a family member or a friend or a loved one, or whether it's a doctor's appointment where we were given some sort of diagnosis that we didn't want to hear. None of us are immune to that kind of pain. But even in those moments, Christian, I have to ask you, will you look to God in those moments and say, this is done by God's providence? That I belong to him, that my life rests in his hands? Now I want you to think about that. And I want to caution you. Be careful before you go home today and pray that prayer. Because what if tomorrow you lost everything? Would you still be able to look to God's providence? You see, when we look at the story of Esther, we see a painful process that led to special preparations that moved her into a strategic position that was all guided by providence that comes from God. And it happened without ever God saying a word. You see, the glory of God is now on full display even in the midst of this present darkness. Now, many of us would think at this point, What a horrible way for God to present himself. I mean, come on, God. Surely there's a better way to do this. Surely you could have just gotten rid of the king. Surely Esther could have been removed from all this pain. I mean, seriously, who would want to be made a queen the way Esther was? What woman, what self-respecting woman would ever want to be treated the way Esther was? Well, the reality is you may be right in thinking that. But again, I want you to remember something. God did not promise any of us an easy road. However, he did promise to preserve his people. We just read about that in Romans chapter 8. 
we will suffer along with Christ. And one day, we will praise God as we celebrate in his glory. We move on and come back to our text, and here the king now offers us uh, just a glimpse of the celebration that he offers to Esther. He gives tax relief, he gives gifts for the people, and he does all this because of Esther. Now again, don't be misled at this point. You see, the king is still being dominated by his own selfishness. And so as we begin to wrap up our story, our story ends with Esther being made queen and now Mordecai, who's been hanging out by the palace gates this entire time, trying to get updates on Esther and what was going on with her, is now made aware of a plot to kill the king. Now, I have to ask you at this point, if you were the one overhearing this conversation, what would you do with this information? I would imagine many of us would say, hmm, there's a plot here to kill the king. Should I tell someone or should I just let this one pass? I mean, come on, can it get any worse? I mean, look at how horrible this king has been. He's a tyrannical king and his death sounds good to me. But notice that's not the response of Mordecai here. You see, Mordecai finds a way to make Esther aware, who then informs the king. The king then investigates the matter, finds out it's true, and then the situation is resolved. And by resolved and resolution, I mean that both men are now hanged for their crimes. And so we have to ask ourselves in Esther too, why save the king? Why save this king? Well, the reality is Esther chapter 2 does not reveal to us any reasons. Many of us would think, well, maybe Mordecai will now earn some sort of favor or earn some sort of prominence amongst the king. Well, go ahead and start reading Esther chapter 3, and you're going to find out that was not the case at all. You see, it's at this point that even though the reasons are not revealed to us, we would be good to read Paul's words to the church of Galatia particularly Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, when he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are a part of the household of faith. You see, by Paul's own words, we now have a responsibility to do good by people. Now, does that mean we allow sin to pass? No, absolutely not. We should hold people accountable for their sin. We have that in scriptures in Matthew chapter 18. However, it does mean this, that we as believers do not repay evil for evil. You see, as believers in Christ, we are called to forgive one another and to work for the good of even those who would try to wound us. You see, the gospel itself demands that we treat our enemies as Christ treated us. So we would do well to remember it was Jesus Christ who died for sinners It was Jesus Christ who died for the enemies of God. And may I remind you for a moment that you and I, all of us, were once enemies of God. And yet by God's grace, he gave us Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, at this point in our narrative, it's hard to fathom 
how this particular narrative can be one that will lead to the salvation of God's people. But yet, here we are in the midst of darkness. We are now beginning to get a glimpse of this unexpected Savior. In other words, in the midst of this dark curtain that has now veiled the world in Esther chapter 2, we are beginning to see a tear in the curtain as light shines forth. You see, when you think more on this chapter, I love the words of several commentaries that I read when they compared the king to Jesus Christ, and I want to share a few of those with you this morning if I could. You see, in this text, we see a king who took what was beautiful from others, and yet it would be the king of kings who would take what was spiritually ugly and make it beautiful again. It was a wretched king that sought that which was pure and left women feeling used with shame. And yet, as we know, it is Christ Jesus who by his grace has made us pure and he alone has taken our shame forever. Even in our heroes, even in the, in the story of Mordecai, heroes such as Mordecai, Mordecai could do nothing to deliver Esther from what would happen to her in her situation. Yet as we look to Christ, we find a Savior who can change our situation and change our world forever. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Again, I would encourage you to read Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, it is Jesus Christ who delivered us in the midst of our pain. It was Jesus Christ who would be prepared for the cross, taking on the shame and the pain and the wrath of God. And like we see in Esther, that pain and that preparation would all be done through the perfect lens of God's providence. It was done for the good of man. It was done for the glory of God. You see, we would do well to remember these words. If I could sum up Esther chapter two for us today, it would be this. God is not done with you. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. And yes, he loves you. You are not done because God alone is still in control. Again, through pain, through preparation, even if that preparation is discipline that comes from God saving us from ourselves, we can rest in knowing that whatever we are going through, wherever we are, God has a providential plan for his people. And so let's rest in that providence today. Let's pray together.